0: Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton.
1: God sanctifies us through His Word, which He calls the truth here. It is. The Word of God consecrates us. That's why it's important for us to be in the Word of God every day. So we can be consecrated. So that we can be cleansed from the profane things that we come into contact with throughout your day. When you're at school, when you're at work, so you can be cleansed and consecrated from those things.
0: Have you ever experienced a power outage at night without a flashlight nearby? Scary, huh? Going through life without Jesus in your life is kind of like being in the dark. In today's message, Pastor Dan will urge you to spend time in the Word of God on a daily basis. It's not about checking it off your to-do list. It's about going deeper in your relationship with Him. Pastor Dan will challenge you today to evaluate where you are in your faith. Are you living by the world's standards or are you allowing God to be your light? Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 17 for today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: Verse 11 tells us the security of our salvation rests on two things. First of all, the security of our salvation rests on God's character. Not your character or my character. Praise the Lord for that. Our security rests on God's character. He says, keep them by your name, your character. Keep them because of who you are. So, so God's reputation is on the line and keeping us. His character. His name is on the line. And so we can be confident. Because God's trustworthy. Because God doesn't fail. He's dependable. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So let me just let me just read a couple verses for you. Listen to what these verses say. First one's out of 1 Peter. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. So now he's speaking about our inheritance in heaven. It's incorruptible and it's undefiled and it does not fade away and it's reserved for us in heaven. And your thought might be, I hope I get there. I hope I make it. I hope I don't blow it and fail. I hope I don't disqualify myself. Well, listen to the next verse. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, you've got this amazing inheritance reserved for you in heaven. It's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It'll never fade away, meaning it's never going to get old. The millionth day you're in heaven is going to be just like the first day in heaven. Just that whole, wow, you know, like that's never going to fade away when you're in heaven. And in case you're concerned that you're not going to make it, you're not going to get there. He says, you're kept by the power of God, by his power. You're not going to get there on your own power. You're going to get there on His power. You're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last days. Now let me read one more verse for you out of the book of Jude. Hey Jude. Verses 24 and 25. Listen to what it says. Now to Him, to God, now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to keep you from stumbling. I'm not able to keep myself from stumbling. But He's able to keep me from stumbling. To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you, listen to this word, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. So He's going to keep us from stumbling in this life. He's going to get us to the finish line. He's going to keep us from stumbling and then he's going to present us faultless because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for us. We are now faultless in his sight. He's going to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Your joy, because I made it, and his joy. He's going to be glad to present you faultless in the kingdom, in his presence. It's going to bring him great joy to get you across that finish line and present you faultless in his presence. And then the writer in the next verse goes on, To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. He just breaks into worship here at the thought of the fact that it's God who keeps us from stumbling and it's God who's going to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And he just breaks into worship at just the thought of that. He keeps us. We're kept by him. Jesus asked the Father here to keep us. To guard us, to preserve us, to get us to the finish line. Holy Father, keep them by your name. And so we are, we are secure. We're going to make it because of God, because of his character, because of who he, he is. Psalm 37 says, The Lord will not forsake the godly, they are kept safe. Forever. So he will keep us secure. He's going to get us there. He's going to get us across the finish line. He's going to present us faultless in his sight, in his presence. How do I know? Because of his character, because of who he is. If it's dependent upon me and my character, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to fall way short. I'm going to be out really early on in the race. But it's based on his character. And so I know that I'm going to make it. That's one way I know. Secondly, The security of our salvation rests on the Father's faithfulness to the Son. His faithfulness to the Son. So it's going to rest on His character, but it's also going to rest on His faithfulness to the Son. Jesus asked the Father to keep us. Right? And didn't Jesus say, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will do? So of course, if Jesus asked the Father to do it, The Father will do it for the Son. And so, He is going to preserve us. He's going to get us there because the Son has asked Him to keep us. And the Father will be faithful to His Son. So we can be confident. Just like Paul writes in Philippians. I'm confident of this very thing, that He who begun the work and you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. How can I be confident? Well, first of all, it doesn't have anything to do with me. It's not dependent on me. I'm off the table. And it's dependent upon the character of the Father and the faithfulness of the Father to the Son. So I'm confident that it's going to come to pass. Notice also Jesus prayed that his disciples would be united, that they may be one as the Father and the Son are one. So Jesus prayed for unity among believers, that we would be one And he tells us here that our unity is a reflection of the unity that the Father and the Son share. And we'll talk more about that in a a few moments. Verse 12, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be The son of perdition, that's Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was the only disciple that was lost. Your translation might say, the one doomed for destruction. This phrase, son of perdition, it's also used in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, as a name for the Antichrist, that last world leader, that last human leader who will come on the scene in the last days and rule over the earth, that people will look to as a savior, the Antichrist. He's known as the son of perdition. He's also doomed for destruction before he even rises power. Again, verse 12, he says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them I lost, except the son of perdition, that the scriptures... Might be fulfilled. The betrayal of Judas was predicted in the Old Testament. It wasn't an unexpected event. It was predicted. It was expected. It was part of God's plan. We see this in Psalm 41, verse 9. Psalm 55, verses 12 to 14 describe Judas betraying Jesus in the Old Testament. But now I come to you, and these things I speak. In the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus prayed that the disciples' joy would be fulfilled. And and notice that his joy would be in us. He wants his joy in us. Jesus, Jesus wants us to be joyful Christians. You know that? He doesn't want us to be like melancholy, bummed out, negative Eeyore Christians right? He wants us to be joyful Christians, to be full of joy, his joy. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world.
0: You're listening to Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City, Maryland. We'll return to the second half of today's message in a moment. But first, here's a
1: word from Pastor Dan. It's my privilege to share the Word of God with you through our radio ministry, Ring of Truth. Thank you for tuning in each day. Hey, I would love to hear from you. Will you take a moment to email me to tell me how these daily studies have ministered to you? I want to hear your story. You can email me through our website at calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com.
0: Thanks, Pastor Dan. Now let's join him again for the conclusion of today's edition of Ring of Truth.
1: Look at verse 15. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Did you ever pray that for yourself? But that you should keep them from the evil one. So This this is Jesus' perspective. He doesn't pray that we would escape from the world or that we would isolate ourselves from the world around us, right? All right, Lord, if you're not going to take me out of the world and take me home, well, then I'm just going to create this little bubble that I'm going to live in and I'm going to avoid the world as much as I possibly can. I'm never going to interact with the world or people of the world. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with tax collectors. Now, he didn't participate in their sin. He didn't compromise himself, but he, he was around the world. He was around worldly people. He was around sinners. And here he prays for us. He, he prays that, that we wouldn't be taken out of the world or removed from the world. He prays instead for our protection in the world, that God would keep us from the evil one. Now look down at verse 18. In verse 18, he says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, I I love this. I want you to follow what's happening here. Jesus saved us out of the world, right? He called us out of the world and out of the world's system and out of the world's way of living. He called us out of that. He saved us out of the world. He saved us out of our mess. He cleaned us up. And then he doesn't just take us home to heaven as we might want him to. All right, I'm saved. You've straightened my life out. Now take me home, Lord. That's not what he does. Instead, he saves us out of the world. He cleans us up. And then he sends us back into the world. He sends us right back into the world, right back around the people of the world, whose lives are a mess just like our life used to be, so that we can tell them about Jesus. He sends us back into the world with a message now to tell people, I know the one who can clean up your mess. I know the one who can fix you and help you. And he sends us into the world with the gospel message so that we can show people and point people to Jesus so that their life can be cleaned up and so that God can lift them out of the mess that they're in. That's why Jesus has us here. That's why he hasn't taken us home. That's why he has you where he has you. That's why he has you at your school. That's why he has you at your workplace. That's why he has you living in the neighborhood that you live in with the neighbors that you have. He has sent us back into the world to tell people about him, to show them how they can get out of the mess that they're in. You see, but quite often our prayer is, Lord, get me out of this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be around these heathens anymore. I don't like how they talk. I don't like the language that they use. I don't like how they always talk about ungodly things. Deliver me, Lord. Why can't I just work around Christians all the time? Why do I have to work around these pagans? Why don't you do something? about it. He did. He put you there. You're the solution that he came up with. Yeah, they are heathens. Yeah, they are pagans. Yeah, their language is filthy. That's why he's got you there. Their lives are a mess. So that you can say, hey, I know the one who can get you out of the mess that you're in. I know the one who can clean up your life. That's why I'm here. That's why God sent me here, to tell you about Jesus. So don't pray that God delivers you out of it. He's put you there for a purpose. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed that the Father would sanctify his disciples. Sanctify them. That word means consecrate, to consecrate to God or to set apart to God in contrast to something that is common or something that is profane, something that is now sanctified. It's it's consecrated. It's set apart. To God, And how does God sanctify us? Through His Word, verse 17. Through His Word. God sanctifies us through His Word, which He calls the truth here. It is. The Word of God consecrates us. That's why it's important for us to be in the Word of God every day. So we can be consecrated. So that we can be cleansed from the profane things that we come into contact with throughout your day when you're at school, when you're at work, so you can be cleansed and consecrated from those things. The more time you spend in the Word of God, the more sanctified your life is going to be. And the opposite is true, by the way. If you don't spend any time in the Word of God, your life isn't going to be sanctified. Your life is going to be common, and your life is going to be profane, because you live in the world. And the world is common, and the world is profane. And so if you're around that all the time, that's your only input, And you're not replacing that with the Word of God, you're just going to be common and you're just going to be profane. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Each one of us has been commissioned by Jesus to go into the world to preach the gospel and make disciples. Listen, give me your attention. You're a missionary, you're a missionary. And we think of missionaries as as people who leave home and leave their families and they move to some foreign country to tell people about Jesus. But we've all been commissioned. We've all been sent. We're all missionaries. When you walk out the door of the church, you're in the mission field. When you go to work tomorrow, you're in the mission field. When When you go to school tomorrow, you're in the mission field. You're a missionary sent by the Lord into this world. To tell people about Jesus. He goes on in verse 19. And for their sakes I sanctify myself. And that that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Verse 20. I do not pray for these alone. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he, he, he prayed for the 11 apostles. And in verse 20 now he's praying beyond the 11. He's praying for all who would believe and be saved after that. That would be including us, the church today. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me I have given them. That they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me Again, he prays for unity among the believers. Our unity as believers, our love for one another, he tells us here, it's a testimony to the world of the reality of Jesus Christ. There's no other explanation for what you see in a local congregation like this, where you see such a diverse group of people that are united and one and love each other. How else do you explain that other than it's something supernatural? It's a work of the Holy Spirit that you would get such different people together who would love each other and sacrifice and give for each other. You don't find that out in the world, anywhere in the world, especially in the days that we live in. It's so polarized in the world. No one loves anybody out there, right? But you come in the church and you have people of different different backgrounds and different education, different ethnicities, different countries, all of it. And then we all come together and we have this common love for Jesus Christ and this common love for one another. And it's a testimony to the world. At the same time, when believers are divided, they're fighting with each other, it's a stumbling block to the world. It's a bad witness. Jesus prayed for unity, unity for us. Then he says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So Jesus prayed that we would be with him one day in his presence and that we would see his glory. And every time a believer in Jesus Christ passes into eternity, this prayer is answered. They breathe their last breath here on the earth, and at the same time they breathe their first breath in the presence of Jesus Christ, and they see the glory of Jesus Christ. Amazing. And this verse is, this prayer request is fulfilled every time. Verse 25, finally. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So finally, here, Jesus. Knowing that he would soon return to the Father, his final petition in this prayer is that his disciples would be filled with the love of God and with the presence of Jesus himself. And we have the love of God dwelling in our hearts. Paul says the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. And we have the presence of Jesus Christ dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us, helping us and enabling us to live a life that glorifies him and with that Jesus concludes his prayer and in chapter 18 he arrives at the garden of Gethsemane where he'll be arrested and carried away and judged.
0: Thanks for joining Pastor Dan today to study the Gospel of John. This book articulates Jesus' life in a unique and powerful way, revealing Christ's deity throughout its pages. John paints a picture of the King of Kings by also showing how he could take the sins of the world with him to the cross. Today, you can have your sins forgiven by Jesus, by this death that he already endured. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, though. He rose, He lives now, and He wants a relationship with you. Would you like to know more? Give us a call. We'd be happy to share the joy and freedom waiting for you in Christ. Call us at 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We'd like to meet you, too. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, come worship with us at Calvary Chapel, gather this Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com. You'll also find more of Pastor Dan's messages at our website. Again, that's calvaryec.com. That's all for today. Join us next time for more from the Gospel of John, right here on Ring of Truth.
2: And I recognize